part of the message this morning, actually. Just before I get underway with that, I want to remind you that, or maybe just tell you, if you're, some it's a reminder, some it's a tell you. Right here it says, next weekend, a little arrow goes over to the right-hand column, Kenya. Mike and Trish are leaving for Kenya two weeks from tomorrow. And they'll be gone nearly a month again in the Kiranyaga district of Kenya. Their trip this year was delayed because of the extreme unrest in the area, political elections and things, and I mean, literally Christians being killed, slaughtered with machetes and fires and burning out houses and churches. And it just wasn't a good time to go visit Kenya. Amen. Would have been a great time to be there to minister. For sure, to the uh, to the needs, but uh, you couldn't get very far out of Nairobi without needing to be able to speak in a certain dialect. Uh, you might remember there's uh, this is kind of an obscure passage for some of us, perhaps, but there was a place in the Old Testament when there was a little war going on, and uh, when people would come to this river to cross <coughs> to this ford, the guards would say to them, uh, who, "Are you are you one of us or one of them?" They said, "Oh, we're one of you, of course," because they didn't want to be killed. They were just killing anybody that wasn't one of theirs. They say, "Well, then say uh, Shibboleth," yeah. and they'd go Sibboleth because they couldn't pronounce it. And as soon as their dialect gave them away, they were killed. This is basically the same thing that was happening in Kenya: is that there was such uprising and such uh, factionary political structures happening and uh, that the way they deal with it is just go kill the other party. How about that if we had that in our elections? And just start to grab your machete and take out anybody. Even after the election's over and the other team's been elected, so to, in this Kenya is what happened, then those who lost the election just went out into the villages and began to kill people who were affiliated with the elected party. So it wasn't really even a religious thing. It was more a political thing. And... Uh, hmm? And tribal, of course, because the tribes align themselves politically. And um, so they just took out other tribes. So we didn't think it was a good idea to send Mike and Trish over just yet. <laughs> Wait till things cool off a bit. Because Kiranyaga District is, I don't know how many kilometers or miles out of Nairobi, but it's a couple of hours drive. Yeah, it's a fur piece, yeah. as they yeah. would say. Yeah. It's a couple hours away. So anyway, if you get out too far, then you're in danger. But they're going. Two weeks. And exciting things are happening there. We're uh, going to, they're going to celebrate the uh, retirement, if you would, of Moses, who has been the overseer of our district churches for ever. <laughs> Moses is how old? He's in his 70s. I mean, the average lifespan over there is in the mid 40s. So you get over 45, you're an old man. And this guy's nearly double that. And he's healthier than me. And he runs around all the time overseeing all these churches. And, and so they're going to celebrate his retirement. And then also the installation of uh, Hilem, Helam, Helam, I always say it wrong, Pastor Helam, uh, who will become our new overseer. And uh, so they're going to install him and just celebrate. They're just going over there to party for a month, basically. <laughs> no, no, not really. And <laughs> go over and visit uh, Mike Erickson. That's right. No. In fact, Mike Erickson is the son of Helam. Yeah, so how about that? Grandbabies and everything over there. Helam's been uh, kind of been raised up over the last 10 years to become the new overseer. And so um, so we want to be, we're going to send them off and celebrate and hear about Kenya and see some things on Kenya next weekend in the services. And uh, here's the exciting part. We need to raise about $4,000 more than we have presently to minister to the churches there. Now, they have an excellent plan. They execute it every year. And every year we get to this point. And there's not enough. And then two weeks from now, there'll be enough. And as I've said, and others have said, God is never late. But he sure misses some good opportunities to be early. And if it wasn't for the last minute, where would we be? I shared the story last night. I'll share it again. Some of you guys were involved in Promise Keepers at the L.A. Coliseum years back. You may remember that event. 70,000 guys, you know, screaming and yelling for Jesus. It was awesome. But Promise Keepers, what some of us may not know is that two weeks before Promise Keepers was slated to begin on that weekend, they only had 20,000 registrants. They had to guarantee 40,000 to have the Coliseum. 
and they were just trying to decide, do we cancel or do we go ahead? You know, it takes quite a bit to feed 70,000 guys a box lunch because basically they all have to be prepared ahead of time, frozen, solid, put on forklifts and pallets and forklift into all over the Coliseum early, early in the morning so they're thawing out all morning while you're in the event and they're thawed out by noon. You know how I know that? Because I was in an event in Alabama or where was it? somewhere in Arkansas. I don't know where I was, Atlanta or somewhere. Anyway, something starts with an A. I remember that. It's in the south. And they didn't get those things out early enough. And we got to lunch. We grabbed that chicken out of there. And it went, <laughs> that thing was frozen like a rock. And uh, so we just sort of laid them over there and ate whatever else was not quite frozen and waited till mid-afternoon. And thought, but try and think of that. Give 70,000 guys for lunch. And you only know that 20,000 are signed up. And so they decided to go ahead with the event, believe God to bring it together. And in the last seven to ten days, 50,000 guys registered. That's amazing, isn't it? What is the moral of the story? In Southern California, we wait till the last minute for everything. We wait till the last possible moment. We live such hurried lives and such you know, threaded out into the rope kind of lifestyle that we're never quite sure. And then, so here we are two weeks from Kenya, and we're just down about four grand. Now, how many of you think God knows where $4,000 are? How, how many of you think, not many of you think that. If this is the signal, how many of you think? A hand there, thank you. Okay, hands are in the air now. I appreciate that. You <laughs> me worried. Now, how many of you think that God knows some of it might be in your checkbook? Not, not as many are waving now, I see. <laughs> you know, God doesn't just have a little machine where he cranks it out and feathers it down to heaven into Mike and Trisha's Kenya account. But I know that God has every year provided. It's been tremendous. So, um, But be aware that next week when you come, we're going to receive an offering for Kenya. And we're just going to believe that we're, it's all going to be there. Is it okay to believe like that? Yes. How many of you would like to believe like that with me? Let's pray. Father, <laughs> Lord, you see our hands, and we're believing not in ourselves, but in you. We're believing that Kenya is on your map, and that you have a design and a plan, and that you desire for us to go there and minister in the people of Mike and Trish Erickson. Lord, we bless them now in Jesus' name as they prepare these last two weeks. Pray for health and strength in their bodies as they receive their immunizations and all their shots. Lord God, we pray that you'll give them stamina and strength. Lord, that you'll bless them with thoughts that are above the normal. God, that you'll give them anticipation and faith and, and courage in all that they face. Lord, that all of their connections, all of their details will fall right into place. Nothing will be left outstanding. And Lord, we know that you know where the 4,000 is. And we just speak in agreement with you to loose it now in Jesus' name and to let it come in. We, we bind every other spirit that would hinder this in Jesus' name. And we loose the provision of God in agreement with Him for your kingdom's work. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. So be here next week, here about Kenya. Bring your checkbook. In fact, borrow your neighbor's checkbook. Tell them you got something really important going on and you need to borrow their checkbook. Praise the Lord. God is always good. All the time. Pardon me while I jot this note. Psalm 19. How many of you would like to leave here with something that's so simple that it would just absolutely transform your life? So simple. Now, when I say simple, um, how many think two plus two is simple? And then later on, you learn two times two. Well, that was pretty simple when you got to it. Some of you got lost when we went into the negative numbers. That wasn't as simple for some of us. Thinking below zero was difficult. But when we got a grasp on it, it became simple. And we began to use it. Has it served you well? Has two plus two served you well? Mm-hmm. Two times two has served you well. Simple concepts that built into great 
life-changing possibilities. Some of you even understand Fibonacci's by now. Oh, yeah. Fibonacci, it's Italian, I'm sure. I'm going to try and give you something that is so simple today that some of you will say, I knew that. And I'll be glad you said it. But it could change your future. Psalm 19, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting or restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. And the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. You may want to put your finger there, a piece of paper, whatever you're using to mark. Because we're going to come back and pick up another verse there. But I want you to go to Psalm 119 now. 119. Let's pick up another verse that has a different word in it. And as you're turning, I'll remind you of the ones that I'm pointing at in Psalm 19. The law, the testimony, the statutes, the commandments, the judgments of the Lord. In Psalm 119 verse 15 it says I will meditate upon your precepts and contemplate your ways. That is I will look into them, I will investigate them. Not just I will meditate on them and I will look into them. I'm going to discover what they say and why they say what they say. I'm going to contemplate look into them. Now these, uh, I I did a study one time, I I don't even think I finished it, but I began to line out from the Psalms these words, statutes, law, commandments, precepts. There's so many various words that are used, even in our English language, to speak of the concepts and the rules, if you will, or the outlining of how to live that comes from God. I thought, well, what's the difference between a statute and a testimony? Or between a testimony and a law, or between a commandment and a precept? And there are various strains of difference in these as you read through them. And if you're a student of original languages, you can get your concordances out and begin to look in what the differences are. And sometimes they're, they're small. Uh, for example, with commandments or statutes, you may find the definition that they can be enumerated, which simply means they're a list. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. The Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. As we know them, they can be enumerated. And there's a list of commandments. Precepts may not carry that weight that they're listed out in some linear form that you do one and the next and the next and the next. But they may be a general precept or a way to live just generally, like being a loving person, being a kind and caring person. You know, we know that's the greatest commandment. Isn't that what Jesus said? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. He said, on this hangs all the law and the commandments. On these two things, all of this, and I like to illustrate this. I just lost my place. All the law and the commandments hang. All my notes will fall out. Matter of fact, we do it the other way. Because Jesus said, on these two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. Love your neighbors yourself. Jesus said the whole law, everything in there hangs on these two things. I'm sure glad to have this recovered by my friends. I didn't do it, but they did a good job. A little commercial for a book craftsman in Mintone. So not all of the commandments are, are strict. Thou shalt, thou shalt not. They're precepts, they're statutes, they're ways of life. That if we keep them, they'll help us. It's real simple. Psalm 1, we've referred to it often. If you want to turn there, you can. Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, or sits in the seat of the scornful. 
But his delight is in the law of the Lord. There's that word again, law. Is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in every season. His leaves don't even wither. The next verse says, not so the ungodly. Not so. The ungodly will not be able to stand in the judgment because he doesn't understand these precepts, these laws, these commandments, these statutes, these testimonies. He doesn't meditate there. Thank you. We're going now. That's just a reminder to turn your cell phones off. This meditation we've talked about before, and and it's uh, that from which the Jews derived a certain style of prayer called davening. And if you've ever seen a picture of the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem, I know I've said this for many of us before, if you've seen them at the Wailing Wall, I'll make this the Wailing Wall, and you see the guy with his little skull cap and his curly sideburns, and he's got his book or his or his list of scriptures here, and he's in front of the Wailing Wall where they pray, and he's doing this, right? He's going like this. He's just moving. And uh, we might say he's rocking out, you know, but... <laughs> But he's rocking, he's moving. This is called davening. It means to meditate, to fill your mind and your heart and your entire being, physically even, with the Word of God. Saturates yourself to the point of non-distraction. And so they would even involve the movement of their body so that they wouldn't, couldn't, the body couldn't be used for anything else. It was involved in the process. And now if you, you know, Taylor, that to yourself. Have you ever gone to pray and fallen asleep? We're not showing our hands now, are we? <laughs> That's because our body didn't get involved. Right? Our mind was really working. And our spirit was willing, but the flesh was weak. I said, Lord, I love you. Oh, where was I? And that's what God was saying. Yeah, where were you? <laughs> I thought we had a meeting going on here. I've been in a lot of those meetings with God. And uh, you know what? It's amazing. He stays in them, even while I'm asleep. <clears throat> but davening is that Psalm 1 meditation day and night on the Word of God, so much that you fill your entire being with that maybe one verse of Scripture, that one thought. That God is breaking as a revelation to your heart. And you involve yourself. And in davening, there's this almost a low kind of muttering utterance that comes along. If you were to stand next to that guy, you might hear him. And what he's doing, he's involving even his vocal cords, but not to the point of speech. Which might even become a distraction of trying to quote something out loud. But to the point of rehearsing that verse of scripture over and over in the mind and in the spirit. Blessed is the man that does this, the Bible says. Okay? Now back to Psalm 19 and verse 14. It says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength or my rock and my redeemer. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength, my rock and and my Redeemer. We probably can't use a percentage very well, but we'll try. How many of you say that about 50% of the time, or less, your words and your thoughts are acceptable to God? I know you're not going to raise your hands. <laughs> or would you tend to think that maybe more than half the time your thoughts and your words are acceptable to God? Come on, be bold. You're not failing all the time, are you? Come on, give yourself a break. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Let's just dive into this this way. What the simple thing I want to have you get today and to have me to obtain today 
see if I can say it clearly. I didn't write it out. <clears throat> Let's see if I can just smash it down into a little box. I would like for us to leave here today knowing how to bring our thoughts captive and our speech into alignment with what the Bible says rather than what the world says. That's it. That's two plus two. It's a simple concept. But I know how difficult it can be. And then last night, and I can snitch on somebody that was here last night in the service, as soon as I said this, they announced out loud for all of us, oh my gosh, I so need this. (laughs) I was like, oh, I do this all the time. Things just fly out of my mouth. I said, and she said it in response to this statement. I said, how many have ever said something that you wished, you could almost see it coming out of your mouth, and you wish your eyes light up, you go, oh, and you wish you could reach out somehow at an arm's length and grab them, and, you know, and shove them back into your mouth somehow. But it's too late, they're out. And they're reverberating into all of space. And they're everywhere, all over the place. And you can't stop them. If you can't say anything nice, what? Hey, you know what? I'm hoping to flip that coin today. How about if you could say something nice? Shouldn't you say it like all the time? St. Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. That means they're not of the flesh. But mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. We walk in the flesh, but our battle is not in the natural. Our warfare is is not taking place where we can see it all the time. We'll see the effects of it. But the warfare we're in is a spiritual warfare. Yes, there are angels and demons. Yes, there is a Savior and a Satan. Amen? Very real. And these influences are around us all the time. And, uh, you know, our, our, our spouse is not our enemy. <laughs> Amen? If you're married, you're supposed to pray it on them, not lay it on them. <laughs> and... Uh, you know, we often react to the things that we see or touch or feel or, you know, our senses are, are able to gather up. But the truth is that we are in a spiritual warfare. And in that warfare, after we've come to Christ, a lot of that warfare is depicted right here in the, in the word strongholds. A stronghold is something that basically has happened in your head. You know, it's not just a spiritual uh, Im- embankment or some... Uh, fortress that's been built in the spirit around you or around some other thing. There are those principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places, according to Ephesians chapter 6, that we war against when we're in a corporate uh, movement. But the strongholds depicted here are things that are locked into our brains. We fight against them. But the weapons of our warfare aren't of the flesh. That means I don't have to overcome it in my own strength. I don't have to try and get a victory on it by my ability. Because I've already proven that I'm a failure. I can't do it. And all you need to do to prove that is watch the words that are coming out of your mouth. Every now and then one comes out and you go, Whoo, I didn't do very good at capturing that. Or the thoughts that are going through your mind. Have you come to the point in your walk with Jesus that you actually can recognize that was your, maybe you're doing nothing. Maybe you're just kind of coasted. You're reading. You're, you're uh, yeah. just sitting, relaxing. And thoughts come into your head. And you wonder, where did that come from? Yep. Have you yep. been there? Amen. You know, now, the next thought that will come right after that is you're crazy. <laughs> Think about it. Come on. Your thought pops in your head. And you're talking out loud now to nobody in the room but you. And you go, oh, where did that come from? Like you don't know. And so the guy that sent the first thought sends the second one. Don't worry about it. You're nuts. You're talking, you're talking to yourself out there. What are you thinking about? You're nuts. Don't worry about it. 
Ephesians 6 says that these are fiery darts that the enemy throws. And if we don't have the shield of faith up, they stick in us, not in our shield. And the strongholds begin to get entrapped in our thinking. Let me give you a, let me switch gears a bit. Uh, Ed and I were together in a workshop one time. And, and one of the things when we go to workshops that I'm looking for is a thing I call transferable principles. doesn't matter what the workshop's talking about. I'm looking for the principles that they're using in their teaching or in their training or whatever's happening there that come from Scripture. I'm saying, what is it they've learned from, that they're using that's from the Scripture that's working for them and why they're conducting the workshop? Whatever training it is. If it was training for teachers, per se, let's say uh, those that work with children, they'd be talking about certain methodologies of being able to transmit education to young people. And when I spot it, I go, that's a transferable principle. It came from Scripture. They may not know it, but they found it. And they've learned how to work with it so that it functions well in the classroom. And I pick those transferable principles up, and I use them. And uh, these people aren't always preaching from the Word of God, but I find the truth that's in... You follow me, what I'm saying? So we're in this workshop, and it has nothing to do with the Bible. And this guy begins to quote a study of some lady, and I, if I'd have been on my toes, I'd have been writing it down so I could get it to you more clearly. But I'll give you the gist of it. They've done a study on the brain, and they said that there are pathways in the brain, neural pathways that run back and forth, and he was trying to explain how this worked and how she explained it to him. He said, imagine a field. It could be grown tall, about two three feet tall with weeds or wheat or whatever you like. And then you walk through it. You walk from one side to the other. And you turn around and you look back at where you just walked. What will you see? You'll see everything else is standing up clearly, but there's some crunched down parts. And if you just pass it once, they kind of spring back up. In a day or two, they'll pop back up and be there again, right? Um, and what would happen if you walked back through that two or three days later? The same thing, right, would happen. And they'd be, they'd be pressed down, but they'd stand back up. He says, this is your mind, and these are the neural pathways that happen in your mind. And as you cross through, you tread down strongholds, if you will, but if you don't go back through there very often, they just grow back. However, what if you walked through that every day, maybe twice a day, there and back, for about a month? Everybody would know where to walk through that field, right? Because there'd be a pathway. You would have trampled down the growth in that spot and taken it over, and things would grow around it on both sides, but there'd be a clear pathway. You're saying psychologically this happens in our mind, that if we begin to speak a certain way, we create new pathways in our brain. Now, I know you're sitting there marveling that Pastor Jeff is so brilliant. <laughs> he knows things like this. I say, just listen a lot. But as I was seeing this workshop, I forgot really about what the workshop was about, and I was seeing the transferable principles. That what we say begins to create these pathways in our mind. Now, you can take this and run in lots of directions. You can go to the Boundaries guys. You can go to Townsend and Cloud. You can go to James Dobson. You can go to Preachers. You can go to Charles Stanley. You can go to Joel Osteen. You can go almost anywhere you want. And anybody who's preaching from the Word of God will confirm this in some way. So I may be referring to a workshop that has nothing to do with the Bible, but I found this transferable principle that even psychiatrists and psychologists have found out works in our mind. And that if we'll begin to say... Let me give you one. Let's go to uh, the little letters of John. Okay. First John. I'm just kind of being random here. First John, chapter 3. Did you notice I might have memorized where this was? It's a point. 1 John chapter 3, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be what? Called children, children of God. That we, might be called, that we should be called children of God. Exclamation point in my Bible. What does that mean? English class? It means emphatic. It's a declaration. It's an exclamation. Children of God! 
Therefore, the world does not know us because it didn't know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God. When? Now. Now. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him. For we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who has this hope in Him in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Okay? The field of my mind. I am a child of God. Maybe recently come to Christ and somebody says, you're a child of God now. You're born again. You're a Christian. And I walk through the field of my mind and say, I'm a Christian. And as soon as I walk through, this stuff starts growing back. The old tapes are running again, as they say. Over and over. No, you're not. What are you trying to fool? Your life hasn't changed. What are you talking about? You're just, you lie as much, you steal as much, you do drugs as much. You, you, zoom, zoom, zoom. So, wait, you know what? I can either yield to that moment, or I can take another trip through the field. No, the Bible says, I'm a child of God. The Bible says, I, I don't know what I'm going to be like yet, but when I see Him, I know I'll be like Him. And what does that mean? Does that mean I have to wait till he comes back to see him? No, I can pray and I can worship and I can get a glimpse of Jesus and every time I see him, I'm going to be like him. I am a child of God. Exclamation point. I am now a child of God. Exclamation point. I am going to wear this path out by speaking it and agreeing with what God says about me. And I'm going to quit agreeing with what I used to say about me. Okay? Romans chapter 12. Told you this was simple. In fact, let me give you the end of that. That's the little psyche psyche study that they were given at the workshop. Here's how they, they had us actually stand up and do an exercise in the workshop. I should probably have you do it with me, okay? He says, let's walk through that. Let's make a path. Let's do this. You say, and imagine you're in front of the mirror in your house, all by yourself. You're locked in the bathroom. And you look in the mirror and your hair's all weirded out. <laughs> you got little crusties in your eyes still. You're just out of bed and you go, I'm a child of God. And you smile at yourself. I'm a, and you say it again, I, I'm a child of God. And then you say, I am a child of God. And the last thing you're supposed to do is go, <laughs> because laughter, check this out, laughter cements it in your head. Laughter releases the stuff that needs to be released to form the memory and complete the path. So even if it's not funny, you laugh. Because it generates the release of what your makeup is in the, in the physical. And it cements the deal. So, we're going to do this. We're going to say this together. I'm a child of God. Wait, no, we'll all do it together. We're going to say it three times. And you say it emphatically any way you like. I'm a child of God. I am a child of God. I am a child of God. Ah! Okay, ready? How many of you feel foolish already? Hey, you know, we're in a workshop with a bunch of heathen. We're standing up going, I'm one of these, I'm one of these, I'm one of these. <laughs> and I go, I said, Ed, we're one of these. <laughs> Be careful. <laughs> okay, ready? I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. I am a child of God. <laughs> Bravo, give yourself a hand. I just heard the thought, is this mind over matter? Well, I don't know. I think your mind probably does matter. Romans 12, 1 and 2, not unfamiliar. I beseech you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Some versions don't read this as strong as this one. 
And others even read it stronger. And I want to point this out because perhaps you're reading um, maybe a New Living Translation. We were talking about this in the office this week, that some scriptures really don't come across true to the original text the way they should. But the most important words in verse 2 for me are these two, conformed, transformed. Now the world has a schematic according to this verse, don't be conformed to this world. That confirmation, conforming to it, means that it has a schematic, it has a diagram of how to live. Whoever has worked with schematics, diagrams, maybe electrical diagrams. I used to work for the gas company and we'd go and have to work on heaters that weren't working, especially this time of year. And sometimes you'd have to get the schematic out and say the circuitry goes like this and here's a switch that's supposed to be open, here's one that's supposed to be closed, here's a heat sensor switch, and it could be anywhere along in this pathway that something's failed. And we get our little tools out and begin to check all those devices and pretty soon, whoop, there it is. Might be a heat relay or something or, a, or an override or whatever safety device. And we'd say that's the one, we'd replace it. That's a schematic. It gives you a way to find out how things work. And Paul says, don't be conformed to the schematic of the world. Don't live by its diagramming any longer. It has a diagram for your life, doesn't it? Let me give you one that's coming upon you right now. And maybe it's already hit you. And that is that there is a diagram, a schematic that the world offers to you and I this time of year that says, please use all the credit cards you have. Come on. Get out there and get that stuff. Listen, I got an email from a friend that said in New Jersey, there were people who put their tents up on the sidewalk in front of Best Buy three days before Black Friday. That means they spent Thanksgiving in a tent on a sidewalk in Newark. That's a schematic I choose not to live by. Okay? And I mean, the tragedy, the 32-year-old... Guy trying to get the doors open at Walmart is crushed and killed by a bunch of insaniacs who want the best deal on socks? What is that? I mean, that's what you get for Christmas, right? Socks and underwear. Is that craziness or what? And the world is saying, bye, bye, bye. You know where the world will be in February? They won't be around to help you. They'll just be adding interest to what you charged. And they'll be asking for the payments. And they will have you ensnared again in the schematic design of our world. Paul says, don't be conformed. I'm just giving you a little advice, okay? Cut them up. Don't use them. Use credit cards for convenience, not for credit. Fact is, you can get better credit anywhere else. You can get a better rate anywhere else. Don't use credit cards for credit. Say, I won't, Pastor Jack. Thank you. And now you're going to be at the register. You're going to be at the register. You're going to pull that thing out. You're going to hold that. And you go, Pastor, I told Pastor Jeff I wasn't, I wasn't going to do this. No, I'm using it for convenience, not for credit. I'm going to pay it off when the bill comes. I have the money now. Don't mortgage your future to the world. Don't be conformed to this world. But be transformed. The word we've all in the Truth Project have come up against it numerous times, metamorpho. I even ministered on it before we got to it in the Truth Project. Go through the chrysalis of that bug, that woolly worm. Get into your cocoon and come out transformed. It's the chrysalis of the, of the little worm becoming the butterfly. It's what God did for you when you came to Christ. Old things were passed away and all things became brand new. And all those new things were from God. He's designed them for your life now. You are the butterfly, no longer the worm. Hallelujah. should thank Him for that. And this transformation, it says, by the renewing of what? Your mind. Child of God. I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. (laughs) You know what? I just cemented it again. How about... Oh, what was that? Oh, 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 I know what that was. That's in Peter. And that's in Isaiah 53. By his stripes, I was healed. Oh, by his stripes, I am healed. By his stripes, I was healed. Ha, ha, ha. 
Now, the only reason you're laughing is because you're cementing it. Transferable principles. So I'm not teaching some weird strain of doctrine this morning, okay? You need to be transformed. You need to go through the metamorphosis and changing the way you think. The strongholds are up here. The battle is for the mind. The schematic of the world comes at you, and you know what's behind that schematic. You know who's drawing that schematic. The God of this world, the Bible says, has blinded their eyes so that they cannot see the glorious gospel of Jesus in the face of Jesus. When we were blind and we were in the world, there was this hood over our minds. There was this uh, covering over our eyes. We couldn't see truth. We only just did whatever came down the road. We just responded to whatever the schematic of the world was. Even if it appeared good, there's intent behind it. Philosophies. Colossians. We've heard it numerous times in the truth project. Don't be taken captive by the philosophies of this world. They're not of Christ. Be transformed. Renew your mind. How do I renew my mind? How do I bring these strongholds in and capture them? How do I capture every thought that exalts itself against God? How do I reach out and grab it and pull it into submission to Jesus? Hmm? How do we do it? We renew our minds. Philippians chapter 4, a little sample. Philippians 4, remember the story as you're turning there of the traveling uh, man. Recall if he's in sales or some corporate deal. Everywhere he went, he carried two things in his suitcase with him. One was a picture, framed picture of his family. And the other was a, a, a small sign. And then when he would check into his hotel room, he'd put the picture of his family up on top of the television. And then he would take out the sign and tape it to the screen. And this is what was on that sign, Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. And he would say to himself, I'm on the road, I'm away from my family, I'm at risk for what's going to come through that screen if I turn it on. I'm at risk of forgetting who I'm connected to, so I bring them with me. I put them up there so that I see them and I stay connected to my family. I love my family. And I'm going to put this over the screen that's really the only thing available in my room to talk with me and to keep me company while I'm by myself, but it's dangerous inside that box. So if I turn it on, I'm only going to turn on and watch whatever's praiseworthy, whatever's of good report. With every one of these phrases, you get closer to a decision to not turn it on. Because there isn't really a lot in there that's just and praiseworthy and of good report and uh, lovely, is there? You know, if you're one of those people that's living by the news, I mean, you just, you just live to see CNN or all the disasters, I mean, you're going to live a miserable life. I'm not saying we should be out of touch with reality or be disconnected from what the difficulties of the world are. But I, I tune into radio news when I'm in my car. I, I got, I'm geared. I'm done the pathway numerous times. And I know when it's top of the hour, and I put on a news station, and in three minutes I get kind of a broad view of what happens in the world. And I turn it off because that's about all I can take. I realize I don't have a lot of authority or, or effect to change what just came out of there. But I do know that after the commercial, that's four minutes after, when five minutes after comes, they're going to go local, and they're going to start with body counts and wars and rumors of wars and all the things that are just going to tear me down. And I choose not to know everything that's happening in Southern California. I'm in touch with a lot, more than some. But I don't need to live there because that's fashioning this. That's giving me the thoughts. And I live by the thoughts and intents of my heart. So do you. And it's going to be dangerous to be feeding on all the wrong stuff. How do I do it? I take verses like this and I remember them. I meditate. It says, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Begin to refill this thing. This is connected to your heart, isn't it? Begin to refill it. Relearn some things. Boy, they taught me 2 plus 2 today. I'm going to get that 2 plus 2 down. Next week, I'm going to be able to multiply 2 times 2. Pretty soon, I'll be doing Fibonacci's <laughs> and equations and algebra.
trigonometry. I'm going to take this to a level in God that cannot be stopped. I'm going to bring every thought captive to Jesus. I'm going to restructure the pathways of my mind and my heart by agreeing with what God says about me and what he says about the designs that are going on in the world today. Now, there's something that's connected to all these thoughts, Proverbs. I'm going to give you a sample real quick. Proverbs, there's lots of stuff in Proverbs. My, 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 my. Let me just read a few of them. Proverbs 10. Ten verse eleven. The mouth of the righteous is a well of life, but violence covers the mouth of the wicked. The mouth of the righteous is a well of life, but violence covers the mouth of the wicked. Which one is yours? Proverbs is real easy that way, isn't it? You read a proverb and you go, Oh, it's either A or B. It's kinda of like going to the eye doctor. Better this way or this way? And you go, hmm, first one's a little more clear. Verse nineteen. In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is wise. 20. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver. The heart of the wicked is worth little. 21. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of wisdom. Verse 31. The mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom, but the perverse tongue will be cut out. 32. The lips of the righteous know what is acceptable. The mouth of the wicked, what is perverse. Chapter 15, verse 1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise uses knowledge rightly, but the mouth of fools pours forth foolishness. Verse 4. A wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Yikes. 13. Verses 2 and 3, a man shall eat well by the fruit of his mouth, but the soul of the unfaithful feeds on violence. He who guards his mouth preserves his life, but he who opens wide his lips shall have destruction. About chapter 12. 12. Thirteen, yeah, I'm sorry, chapter 12, verse 13. The wicked is ensnared by the transgression of his lips, but the righteous will come through trouble. A man will be satisfied with good by the fruit of his mouth, and the, re- and the recompense of a man's hands will be rendered to him. Chapter 18. While you're in chapter 18, let me read one from 21. It says in verse 23, Whoever guards his mouth and tongue keeps his soul from trouble. If you're going to memorize any of these, get this one. Proverbs 18, 21. This is the one that needs to hang with you and and, uh, stay with you. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. I used to look at that second line. Those who love it will eat its fruit. And evidently, the best I can determine, that applies to either side of the first part of the verse. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Whichever one you're using is the one you're going to eat. Which is, you're going to eat the fruit of life, or you're going to eat the fruit of death. But the power of it is in your tongue. Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. You know, messages like this can be really misconstrued. So I'm, I'm, I know I'm taking a chance this morning, but I'm trying to stay safe. Jesus had cursed the fig tree on the way by. Uh, and in verse 20 says, now in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. Happened in a day, less than a day. Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. So Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God. I've underlined the words in God. Because faith can be put in anything. Our faith can even be put in our faith. But it's misplaced. Our faith needs to be in God. 
For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. There's a gentleman named Roy Hicks. You might know Roy. Wonderful man. Wonderful man. I've got very, one of the most balanced guys in this, on these verses. And I want to read to you a note that he wrote on this idea of having a faith confession. How many of you would agree that doing this, I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. <laughs> Is an act of faith. Because there are days you don't feel like a child of God. You feel like an orphan. You feel like even if you were a child of God, He should reject you. There are times when you do things and you say, I don't deserve to live in this house. I know there have been times when I said, God, a lightning bolt today would be a good idea. If you could just poof and take me out. I am such a failure. No lightning bolt. Still here. Why? Because he says, I'm a child of God. And it doesn't matter how I be contrary to his thoughts, his thoughts are going to win. And so I just go back to saying, no, (laughs) I'm a child of God. And he's not going to kill me. But I think discipline may be in order. (laughs) But discipline only comes to those he loves, the Bible says. And he chastens and scourges every son that he receives. So as he spanks me along the path... I know I'm a child of God. Ha, ha, ha. Roy Hicks, I'm going to read this note. From Jesus' own lips we receive the most direct and practical instruction concerning our exercise of faith. Consider three points. One, our faith is to be in God. Faith that speaks is first faith that seeks. The Almighty One is the source and grounds of our faith and being. Faith only flows to him because of the faithfulness that flows from him. Number two, faith is not a trick performed with our lips, but a spoken expression that springs from the conviction of our hearts. The idea that faith's confession is a, quote, formula for getting things from God is unbiblical. But the fact that the faith in our hearts is to be spoken and thereby becomes active and effective towards specific results is taught here by the Lord Jesus. Number three, Jesus' words, whatever things, apply this principle to every aspect of our lives. The only restrictions are, A, that our faith be in God, our living Father, and in alignment with His will and word, and B, that we believe, not doubting in our hearts. Thus, Speaking to the mountain is not a vain or superstitious exercise or indulgence in humanistic mind science, but instead becomes an applied release of God's creative word of promise. Basically, he's saying we just agree with what the Bible says and we learn to say it. And as we learn to say it, our mind is renewed and comes into conformity with the word and will of God. And we begin to live out who he says we are, and in a way that is pleasing to him. And every fiery dart that comes and every thought that exalts itself against God, we grab it and we bring it captive. And we tape it to the screen of life and say, I'm going to dwell on whatever's lovely, whatever's of good report, whatever the Bible says, whatever's just and true and right. I'm going to save those things. Why is it important to speak? Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. When you open your mouth, you don't have to be in conversation very long to know where a person is. Right? It doesn't matter if you're just on a bus or you're traveling on an airplane or you're, or you're in a crowd. You can hear people speak and you know where they're coming from. And people can hear you speak and know where you're coming from. Paul wrote to the church in Ephesians chapter 4 talking about not grieving the Spirit. And he said, don't let any corrupt communication come out of your mouth. Only that which is good for edification and the building up of others. Another place says, let your speech be seasoned with salt, full of grace to the hearers. How's your speech? 
James chapter 3 and spend a little time in that this afternoon, you can be condemned all you like. <laughs> but basically, he's saying the, the, the tongue is positioned in such a way that it's like the bit that we, we put a bit into the mouth of horses and we tell them which way to go. And then we have these huge ships, James says, and they're driven by fierce winds. But there's this little rudder down on the back that tells it where to go. He said, so is the little tongue in your mouth. Is it will give direction to your life. Because it's going to say what's coming out of your heart. And what's coming out of your heart is the retraining and transformation of your mind. And when the pain comes into your body, you say, oh, but Jesus healed me. By his stripes I'm healed. You're a lousy person. This dart. You're such a liar. You're such a cheat. You're such a whatever. You yank that thing out and you pull the cap and say, this is not what the Bible says. The Bible says, I'm born again. I'm full of Jesus. I'm a child of God. I'm a representative of heaven. I am forgiven. There's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life has made me free from the law of sin and death. Therefore, being justified by faith, I have peace with God. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. It doesn't yet appear what I'm going to be like, but I know every time I get a glimpse of Jesus, I'm going to be more like Him. Ha, ha, ha. Amen? Amen. Now I'm going to give you something before you go home. I need a couple of guys to help me. Could be a couple of girls. I'm not trying to be chauvinistic. Um, this is a two-sided sheet. So, But if you happen, I want everybody to get one of these. If you happen to run out in the hallway, there's some stapled sets in the facilitation guide slot. I've got to train the rudder of my life. James said this little guy, this little member of our body is, is positioned in such a way that it can ruin our whole body in no time. says the tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body. Woo! Like what Pastor Mike said that day. He said these, that's a fence. That's a fence. You need to keep that little rascal behind that fence. I like that. That was a great, that's a great picture, isn't it? And if he tries to sneak out, bite him. You know? Where do we get the phrase, bite your tongue? What are we saying? We're saying, don't say that. Bite your tongue. What's a good idea? It's a very good idea. <clears throat> this really takes the grace of God to happen. This takes the mind of the Spirit to occur. This takes the renewing of my mind by His Word. And what I've handed you, and I want to thank Pastor Floyd for this. He gave me this this week, in fact. It's perfect, perfect timing. Thank you. On, on uh, If you got the two-sided sheet, is that what you got? On one side, since I am in Christ, by the grace of God, I... Now look, look at this, right here. Look up here, okay? By the grace of God, I... Ready? I have been justified and completely forgiven and made righteous. <laughs> I have died with Christ and died to the power of sin's rule over my life and free forever from condemnation. ha, <laughs> ha! Use the tools. Use the tools. Convince yourself if you have to. Now, a while ago I said, how many of you already feel foolish when we started that little exercise? I mean, we all do. It's like, this is weird. Where does this go? Well, now you know where it goes. It goes to the reshaping and the, the, the neural pathways of your mind. It's the reforming of your spirit. It's right here in Scripture. It's been here for hundreds of years. And when I go to a workshop and somebody says, by the way, this works like this, I go, we knew that. We knew that. Jesus said, happy are you if you know these things and do them. Are you unhappy? Is life not working out? The whole world against you. You have a miserable life. Hey, 
Start treading the pathways of your mind with the Word of God. Start getting renewed. Start bringing thoughts captive. Start reshaping who you are, not by your own strength, but by the power of the Word of God. Hebrews chapter 4.12 says that the Word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces down in between joints and marrow. Amen? It does something inside of me that I cannot do. It's alive. The Word of God is alive. I just need to turn it loose. And when I take my mind and my spirit man and my little rudder, my tongue, and I begin to speak, as Roy Hicks said, just in speaking in truth and alignment with what God has already declared to be true, my life is going to be changed. It's going to be as simple as two plus two. I can do this. I always think of that song. You wouldn't know it, but one of the one of the sentences is, "If Mama taught me how to read," it kind of says that a few times. Mama taught me how to read, but if I don't read and my soul be damned, it's nobody's fault but mine. I can hear that song in my head, and it is so true. Mama taught me how to read, but if I don't do it. And my life is trashed. It's not her fault. And it's certainly not God's fault because he's been on my side all the way. I need to get on his side. I need to say what he says about me. You need to say what he says about you. You need to tear down some of those old tapes. Pull them out. If you got them from your parents, just say, I love my parents, but I reject the statements they made about me. They're not true. They may have been true at one time, but now that I've come to Christ, I'm a brand new person. I'm not just the genetic product of my parents. Bible says I'm born again of the Spirit. That means here's me, dead in trespasses and sin, and here's God alive forever in the Spirit. And when we were co-joined and I was born again, my DNA structure now carries the character and the nature of God. That's a pretty bold statement. And say, I used to be a very angry person before I came to Christ. I mean short-fused angry, mad all the time. I tell people that, and they go, well, not you, Pastor Jeff. Come on, you're just so kind. You love everybody. I can't even imagine that. say, well, it's a good thing. Because that's the old one we buried, right? All things became new, and now all things are of God. The redheads can't get away with it anymore. Amen. Well, it's just my nature. I'm kind of hot-headed. No, you're not. Your heavenly Father gave you a new character, a new nature. You're loving, you're kind, you bear the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and faith. There's no law against these things. I'm a child of God. Amen. I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. <laughs> I'm cementing it in. Amen. Ed, Ed got this one. The same works out, I think. Okay, here's everything I just told you. Put your hand up like this. Here's everything I just told you. Put it in your hand. Okay, now I take these off. And on three, we're going to put it in here. Okay, ready? One, two, three. Put it in. Oh, that hurt. One, two, three. Yeah, put it in your neighbor. No. Uh, one, two, three. Amen? You get it? You get it? Two plus two. Come on. Put it, in. Put it in. Put it in. Let your speech reflect what God says about you. Father, you are incredible. You are awesome. How do we miss it so often? We read the scriptures and we, sometimes we just don't see it. Oh, thank you so much for truth. Jesus, you said we would come to know the truth and the truth would make us free. It would set us free. It would act upon us, but it would open the prison doors and let us be out of there. And that you have given us the strength by your spirit to bring every thought captive. Amazing, amazing, amazing. The Lord, we receive it this morning. And by faith, Lord, we pray that you are beginning a work in us that will help us transform 
our minds to be working in agreement with you as you bring the transformation. Father, we can't do it. We've tried the old I'll change myself thing, and it doesn't work. We confess to you that we're weak and we're unable, but we believe in you. We thank you that you've made us new creatures from the very beginning. And that this new man, this new woman that you've made us is capable of living by the grace you provide, speaking truth in agreement with your word and having our lives transformed by the renewing of our mind. Your word is truth. Lord, let us reject every lie and accept every truth that you've spoken to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Don't forget to do it in the mirror. And don't forget to laugh. Okay? God bless you. Have a great day.